listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome, everyone, to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Today, we're doing something a little bit different. After almost 250-plus episodes, it's about time for me to pass the reins to some other people. So we're going to be talking to two new associates that are going to be taking over the co-hosting and hosting responsibilities for this podcast moving forward. We'll probably all three shares. We go go into the future. But we're also going to talk about when it comes to a sales methodology, what do you really need to be successful when you're trying to find a vendor, trying to select a vendor, trying to figure out what's going to work best for your organization. So with us, we have Carlos Noche. He's a managing partner with us. Carlos, say hello. Hello, everyone. That was so energetic. We also have with us Lisa Schnarr, who is also (laughs) a managing partner with the firm. Lisa, say hello. Hi, folks. Happy to be here. See, that was a little bit better. See, Carlos, that's what we were looking for. We're going to have to work on the energy level, brother. That's why she's my co-host. <laughs> or I'm really her co-host. That's really what it is. So, so I'm going to ask you both the same question we asked all of our guests in the past. And Carlos, we'll start with you. I'm always curious to know something that you're passionate about that those that only know you through work might be surprised to learn. I guess I'm passionate about a couple of different things, but I'll give you one that people don't know a lot about me. So a couple of years ago, Got into this, you know, side by side four wheeling because some of my neighbors, and I'm passionate enough about it that I've built like, I don't know, a mile and a half of trails through my property. So we got our own little track to go through. Nice, very cool. All right, Lisa, <laughs> how about you? Something you're passionate about that those that only know you through work might be surprised to learn. Well, so during this uh, last few years, I took up an at home hobby of arm knitting. So I make blankets with uh, my hands, my arms, because uh, I've never had the coordination to actually learn how to knit with needles. <laughs> but this uses this uses bigger yarn. It makes these big, cozy, comfy blankets. And so now everyone in my life gets one for gifts. Because <laughs> nice. that's, that's what I do to keep my hands busy. Have you gotten one, Chad? I haven't gotten one, Chris. I, I haven't gotten one? one. I haven't gotten one. I don't know what's going on with this. Been, I, they're big. I don't. I have to like backpack that shit. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how I'd send it through the mail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they probably wouldn't let it in from Canada. That's true. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> also, super sketchy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you can't send COVID tests to Mexico, so maybe you can't send knitted blankets from Canada to America. So uh, who knows? Yeah, All right. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> so cool. So let's let's talk about when an organization is trying to figure out. You know, hey, it's time to put in a sales methodology. We need to drive consistency of behavior from rep to rep. We need a foundation so we can scale. You know, what is that? Let's talk about what that process looks like. So they have this first thought, like, hey, maybe it's time for us to put in a sales methodology. And they start thinking about it. First and foremost, I'm curious to know who do you think should be involved? And I'll start with Carlos. Carlos, who do you think should be involved in that decision making process and why? Well, you called it you know, some sort of sales training or sales methodology. So first off and foremost, I think sales needs to get involved. And I know that sounds (laughs) almost like, oh, of course you idiot. But I can't tell you how many times they've they've decided internally we're doing this and they hand it off to other folks in the organization to figure out what this is when sales needs to own it just as much as anyone else. In fact, it's really their program. So sales leadership, and some of your top salespeople that are really guiding that sales culture should be involved as one person I throw in there or groups of people I throw. What about you, Lisa? Is anybody you'd add to that list? 
you know, we often talk to enablement, but it's the CRO, SVPs of sales that are the ones who really need to reinforce a methodology. If you're not talking like a quick and dirty one and done training, you want a methodology that is going to alter your culture then you also want the rest of those revenue generating teams involved. Ideally, this is an alignment across the entire revenue team at minimum. Absolutely. And then, of course, there's also marketing that's going to have a play in it, right? They're going to have some say in it because they're going to be providing and producing assets for the sales organizations as well. And then what's, what's interesting is in a lot of cases... People look at sales, when we say sales training, they look at the silo. It's, oh, yay, it's all here. And what we want to do, especially as we've seen the demographics change across the last few years uh, in the uh, leadership suites, is make sure that it's actually breaking down silos. So there's probably more people that need to be involved than, than you would think. I mean, I don't, I don't know about you two, but I can say in the last year, because of what we do, because it is a cross-functional communication framework, I've trained just as many salespeople as I have technical architects, data analysts, anybody that has a customer-facing role so that they understand how to truly support that buying process. Now, when we think about all of the options that are out there, it's not like it's not a crowded market. How are people supposed to approach that evaluation and figure out what's going to work best for their business? Are there any hints or or tips or tricks you'd give them there, Lisa? But Yeah, well, I think Carlos threw his hand up, so I'll let him jump in. (laughs) So hey, like, I, before we get into the tips or tricks, I think one is right off the bat. Mindset's really important in this. So I got this crazy idea. If you're going to go roll out a sales training program, let's not call it that. Remember the days, you know, when you were a sales rep, as soon as someone said, hey, we're doing some sales training, the first reaction was, can I get out of it? Because I'm already good at what I do. <laughs> Second reaction. Okay, so you're forcing me to do it. Fine. How quickly can I get through it and back to my old behaviors that I know work for me? So mindset's really important. So one of the things is you get these different parties involved, whether you know you think about sales and business development and sales executives and pre-sales and you got customer success and services on the other end. Why are we doing this? <laughs> what is the purpose? Why, why change? Why take time out of the field to do something? And if we can get everybody on that same goal, then, hey, we get there. Now, I got to tell you, half the battle is just agreeing on what that is, right? And a lot of people say, well, we've grown to the point where we need it. Why? I mean, we've worked with organizations that have gotten over a billion dollars in revenue that have not had a formal sales process. But sooner or later, they hit a saturation point in the market. They hit a cultural point internally, and they want to scale and improve. And you know, it's not because they're not doing certain things right. They just want to do it more efficiently and level up. So why are we doing this? Can we get that consensus? I throw that in there as like, yeah, so you know, you know, how do you get started down this path? Talked about the who's, and we talked about a bunch of different people. Can we set a different mindset? Uh, my little hint, and then I'm throwing it over to, to Lisa, is this needs to be really about revenue optimization, not about some training. Yeah, I love that. That's a really good point. And uh, I think, you know, one of the other things is like selling that mindset into the rest of the organization. Something I bring up a lot is that this is something you carry with you for the rest of your career. This is not a, you know, oh, I took a couple hours of sales training online. A methodology, a true methodology that is, again, like altering your culture that is adopted and reinforced and inspected 
is actually something that you can, that's a, that's a feather in your cap. That's something you put on your resume. That is something you can carry with you from, from place to place. And we see it all the time. We get calls from people who move organizations. They want to put in uh, our methodology. And it's awesome because that's something they realize is such a, an asset. And when we're, of course, when we're telling people who are in the training, I bring up the certification every time. I'm like, that certification doesn't stay with your company. It stays with you. The badge on your LinkedIn profile, that is something that you keep and has and will become an asset on, on your resume. So, so they can't just think about it as if this is a benefit to the organization. So getting that personal value, that personal buy-in is incredibly important to drive the adoption. Absolutely agree. And one of the things that I think sets is one of those things that when people are looking for these types of solutions, they should look at is, are you working with a vendor who has an approach beyond just, hey, we're going to do some training, right? Do we, are we working with somebody who has a true change management approach, a proven way to increase adoption application and secure those benefits sooner rather than later as we're going through? Now, it can be hard, be difficult to determine, you know, what organization, what offering out there is going to be the right fit for my organization? And, and I'm curious when companies start to evaluate, what are, you know, you think about the top three things that maybe they should be thinking about when they're evaluating a potential partner in this space. What are the three things that you would recommend the audience keep in mind as they do this evaluation, Carlos? And I'm thinking about something different. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> Carlos is checking Slack. No. Like when you think about evaluating this thing, like I guess, sorry, I'm still stuck on something that Lisa said because I, I agreed with it so much. And it's funny because I, I just have a, one of my clients right now is a security company. They have a great culture. They got great momentum. But besides doing this program to really level up their team and it be part of their culture, uh, one of the things that their HR person who was involved, their HR leader was involved in the selection process, by the way, was, hey, folks, let's not forget, this is a huge investment in our people. Talent is competitive these days. It is hard to get good talent and it's hard to maintain. You may uh, retain good talent. So this is, let's view this thing as not something we're making them go through. It just goes off what Lisa said, but this is an investment in our people. All right. So now I'm going back to your question, Chad. What are the three things? Go ahead. Again, repeat that for me. My ADD got in the way. I'm not 100% sure what I even asked you. What, what, are the, what, what are the top three things if somebody's going to go evaluate? And I think your, your comment on the investment in the people is, is an important one because there are solutions out there in this space that can be you know, a one, two, three-person shop all the way up to global organizations like ours that can scale and that can look at and understand here's current state of a culture, here's where the end state of the culture is going to be. So thinking about, is this something that is going to be implemented to attract or retain top talent? Or is it going to be something that's implemented to help them ensure that they have a career path for SDR through AE into customer success and they're all speaking the same language? I mean, having a vendor that has the ability to do that, a partner that can actually bring that to the table in a proven way, I think is an important element of something I would be evaluating and have evaluated in the past as a CRO. I'm just curious what else, Carlos, you think they should be looking for as they're looking at the different options that are out there? Yeah. So I'll just say like you, you just said it twice, but like a true partner and maybe that's obvious, but it's not, again, like I'm here for your success throughout the duration. And this is not something that we, we spend three days together and then break up. We are together. We are part, we're an extension of your team. And I think that's a really important thing. If you want to have a successful change management process, you need that partner right there with you. And that's part of your evaluation. I do also think that what I love the idea of using this as something to like attract talent. 
Because if you're promoting that you do this type of uh, training for your people, then you are definitely going to be one of their top you know, competitive offers, because that's what those are the differentiators in the market. Now, like people are being poached left, right and center. I hear from people who are trying to hire every single day. So if you are going to differentiate your organization above the rest, have that be something that that is, well, again, another feather in your cap or almost like a perk as as we are willing to invest in our people. But then yeah, I think, like, thirdly, I do think you need to find someone who is going to be evangelical about their process for you. Because again, like the biggest thing that I come across is that when we, when we go wide in organizations and we talk to multiple teams, it's just like the alignment is insane. And having obviously been a part of corporations where when we're looking at not just our sales process, the buyer's journey. How consistent is that for the buyer? What type of experience did they have from STR all the way through account manager or CS? What type of language are they speaking? How consistent is that? How successful is that? How is that recorded? You know, so when I think we need to flip the script and when evaluating evaluating a vendor partner to work with, you really should think about how it's going to affect your buyer's journey as well. Anything you'd add to that, Carlos? Yeah. So uh, now that I had more time to think. You're welcome. <laughs> so here's some of the things, some things to think about, folks. So one is everybody gets into this. And number one thing I usually hear on the list is, ah, we need a common process, a common vocabulary to drive consistency. Love it. Totally agree. But folks, is it flexible enough and customizable enough to meet you where you're at? and also match your buyer's journey that we just talked about with Lisa. So it's, it's you know, one of the things that makes us effective is the fact that we really do, a t- you know, really try to link it to someone's buyer's journey. In doing so, we allow you to really customize things, even though at the core, we still have this value selling framework. It's a framework, not a script, not a pair of handcuffs, not you have to use this word with this tone at this time. Can it be adaptable enough to fit coast to coast, in Europe, in APJ, and be culturally adaptable. Uh, Another thing I want you all to think about is who's actually doing the training? (laughs) (laughs) Because I will, you know, I've heard this from more than one of our clients. Like, hey, Carlos, are you, do you guys actually train? Because you're really good at what you do. And and that's one of the differentiators we have. We all continue to sell because selling is hard and we're all 100% quota carrying reps, all each one of our partners are, but we all love to deliver and work with our clients. And it's that combination that makes us better. When you think about who's going to train, it's not even just about one person. I have a new client and I'm working with one of our partners over in Europe. He just delivered a workshop in London. It's uh, It was face-to-face, believe it or not, you know, because we're getting there. He got a standing ovation at the end and I give him all the credit in the world for it. He just did a great job. But that just goes to the caliber of the people that we have to actually deliver and engage with your salespeople. Nothing against a bunch of new hires that are right out of college. You don't want them training your top sales reps when they've never sold before. And I'll give you a couple more. <laughs> One on this you know, key requirement. Folks, don't just focus on what it is and being customer. What's the plan after? What are we ultimately trying to get to? Everybody focus on delivery, executing on the delivery of these things. The plan really needs to be on when are we going to start seeing these success? Are we looking at leading and lagging indicators to see how we're doing? And things go wrong. 
priorities <laughs> change. How do we adapt to those to still end up with a customer? That's why we get so many, I think, return customers. We're really focused on the success of the company, but even down to the individuals. You know, every one of us in our organization reaches out to, hey, you got a deal, you have an opportunity, whether it's now, a month from now, or a year from now, give us a call. It's something that's kind of innate to all the partners. Last part, and this is kind of a funny one, is the person selling you the sales program, methodology, process, did they actually use it in selling you? I can't tell you how many times, Carl, you know, one of the reasons you speak, you're the only one that actually used your own process. I mean, we're passionate about the value selling framework because it helped us create a multi-million dollar business, right? We use it every day to attract new talent, close business, deliver on that business. And, you know, so is the person you're dealing with, are they just a sales rep trying to sell you something or do they, are they passionate about this? Do they use it every day in the way they engage with you? So, so now we got like seven, we asked for three. Now we got like seven great items, but something to think about. Well, and there's a couple of ones in there that I want to highlight that I think are extremely important. Number one is the bespoke element. Like, are, is somebody able to take their framework that is flexible enough and make it bespoke for your organization? Or, or is there going to be additional change required because of the way that their methodology or their approach is structured? Are you going to have to redo all your sales stages? Are you going to have to redo your CRM implementation? Are you going to have to change your tech stack? Looking for somebody who's going to be able to come in, assess what you have and blend with it to amplify current investments, I think is a big piece of it. Making it bespoke and customized for your business, for your people, spending the time to truly understand your business rather than just give you a cookie cutter approach. That allows you to take, take your selling motion and turn it into something that can be a differentiator. And at the end of the day, the one that is my favorite and I constantly go back to that Carlos mentioned is you need to be working with the people that are actually going to do the training because that journey through the sales process, through the customization, that at the end of the day is going to make a huge difference in the credibility that your facilitator can achieve when working with your teams. And in a lot of cases, you know, those groups are separate and they don't use the methodology that they bring together. Excellent. All right. So let's kind of pivot here a little bit. We've been talking about sales methodology. Let's talk about you too for a little bit. So the audience is used to hearing my voice for the last two or three years. I wanted to get to know you a little bit better. So I was just hoping that you might be comfortable enough to give us just a little bit of background on what brought you to this point in your career where you were part of the value selling team, Lisa. What was the path to get here? And what do you want the audience to know about you? Wow. How much time do we have? (laughs) It was was quite a ride, actually. So um... I'll preface from the beginning. I started as an SDR cold calling for a company that got acquired by a Salesforce called Radiant 6. And I fell in love with SDR work. And I know that that sounds insane because it's one of the hardest jobs out there, if not the hardest job in sales. But I loved it. And I was really good at it. And I worked my way up across other startups into management, started running SDR teams, building them from the ground up, working mostly with startups. So I was wearing a lot of hats. I've dipped my toes into enablement operations and have always uh, you know, been the first person to put my hand up for any of those things. When I was running a team of like, oh, I don't know, 15 people in 2018, I managed to get to the funding to bring Chad up to our office to do an in-person training with value selling. And absolutely loved it. it. We were we had a product at the time that was more of a nice to have, very sexy product, but not really not connecting to the need to have with buyers. And we were getting all kinds of meetings. All kinds of people wanted to see it. Our top of funnel was full. 
but we could not close on all that business or not enough of it to keep going. So after value selling, it was just a complete shift in mindset and our connecting to value, you know, improved just, I would even say a hundred percent. And we just crushed our goals after that. So after that experience, I just thought like, this is the the bee's knees. I've got to keep this in part of my life uh, and tried to bring it into other organizations after that. Well, I was uh, affected by COVID related layoffs two years ago. And at the time, I was, of course, you know, jumping right back into the job market. But I also decided to start taking some contract work. So ultimately, that snowballed. And I started my consulting company where I worked with other startups doing exactly what I was doing for corporations. I helped them to build, optimize, and train SDR teams. And when the opportunity came up and Chad called me up and said, you know, hey, do you want to join the value selling team? I had just wrapped up a big contract. I had some time and things were going really well. And I just said, like, it, I didn't even hesitate. I don't think I was just like, yeah, how do we do it? Yeah, let's, let's go. You, did, you didn't hesitate at all. <laughs> <laughs> I think it only took a couple of weeks to get signed paperwork. Like, and honestly, yep. that was probably partly because of your schedule. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, yeah. Was, uh, <laughs> so yeah. And then, and since working with the team has just been incredible, I think it's like, you know, everything you, you just said about we are, we build a lot of credibility because we use this every single day. And every time we start a class, I start with, I think we all do start with the, I'm a hundred percent commission sales rep. I don't have a base salary. If I don't sell, I don't eat. So that's how much faith I have in this process. So that always sets everyone kind of back on their heels because they can't imagine being a hundred percent commission. Uh. What? <laughs> Those jobs don't exist anymore. So anyway, I, I just, yeah, that's kind of my background, my journey, what led me here, what keeps me focused and passionate is actually seeing the results that come out of this training and keeping keeping the relationships going. I am a huge networker. Anybody listening to this podcast, connect with me on LinkedIn and tell me that you listen to the podcast. Just don't do that. Like, you know, just connect and pitch. I'm going to, I won't accept. Um, <laughs> so, and, we, and we'll have to talk about that. I'll, I'll be offering you some training on that. But, uh, but yeah, I, I love networking and this allows me to stay in touch with a lot of people and really see the results that come from this methodology when it's really successfully uh, adopted. And that drives me every day. So Carlos, tell us the history of Carlos, because, you know, <laughs> it's got to be good. <laughs> this is this is hard to follow. I mean, <laughs> I know. what do I do? All right, let's see. How far back do I go? So I started out a poor Latin child in Jamaica, <laughs> New York. <laughs> Maybe too far. Uh, all seriously. <laughs> uh, okay, jump ahead 20 years. <laughs> look, I did not plan on being in sales in my career, at least early on. And I just happened to come across it soon after college. And, you know, look, like many of people out there, I just kind of, you know, worked my way through it. And I always was trying to get a little bit better. Like many of you out there, I've taken at least 11 different courses. You know, so when we talk about others, it's not like I'm just trying to throw some competitive, you know, stuff at them. I got something valuable out of every single one that I took. So I have nothing bad to say about them. Somewhere in the middle, I got to take this thing called value selling. And I liked it for a couple of core reasons. It was simple. I'm the laziest salesperson alive. I I never noticed that rep of the year brag about how he filled out more forms than someone else. 
I never noticed that rep of the year say how they use this great tool and that made him or her so successful. The reality is it's about engagement. And I, this thing called value selling talked about, it's not about selling folks, it's about aligning to the buying process. I'm like, okay, that I can get around. I, I, I buy every day. So I can get that one. The other part of it, it was also simple enough to kind of work across the team. So we talk about collaboration. How do you get someone on your team to be on board that hasn't taken the training? Do they have to go through this really, you know, tough, you know, or certification process? Or could you literally talk to a partner in Mexico City and explain it to them on the back of a napkin? which I did. <laughs> and we kind of worked together on an opportunity in Latin America to help drive it. So it helped me not only at dealing with direct customers, partners, and eventually I became a director and a VP and a worldwide VP. And part of the reason I felt was, I'd love to tell you it was all value selling, but it was really the ability to assess a deal. You know, where are we in this opportunity? And it really propelled my career. 13 years ago, I got a little burnt out of being a worldwide VP and being on a plane all the time. And I was going to finally do it, take some time off. And I know you're going to find this hard to believe. I freaked the hell out because I thought, oh my God, what am I going to do with myself? I wonder if Starbucks is hiring. And a mutual friend told me, hey, what about you know doing this value selling training? You love to help people. You had a great team before. Part of the reason it was great, you really coached them up. Maybe this could be something you can do. And honestly, folks, I got into this and I thought I'll be doing this for six months or a year as a break. Like it was going to be easy and I was going to love it. Uh, two things. It's a heck of a lot harder than I ever thought it would be. Probably one of the hardest jobs I've ever had in my life. And it's also a lot more rewarding than I ever thought it would be. I love helping people. If I was uh, independently wealthy, I'd probably still do some of this. <laughs> and what I mean by some of this, I just wouldn't do it every single day because I'd love to have a little bit more fun. But, you know, folks, it's the joy I get out of, you know, seeing that light bulb go off in someone's mind or talking about a deal. And I, I just had a management check-in call today and they said, hey, we've been working on this deal for over a year and we laid the framework over it and they kind of unstuck us. And now I'm not going to tell you they won. <laughs> they, they're not there yet, but they have a lot more confidence and direction today than they've had for the last year. And it's created positive momentum. And I love stories like that. So I don't have as a great a story to tell you, but for the last 13 years, I've gotten to work with all sorts of companies. And quite frankly, I'm very passionate about what we do because I see the results. And the best thing I got is people reaching out to me years later, just talking about how it's been part of, I've been part of their journey. And I love that part about it. So I hope I get to still do it for a few more years. You know, if God lets me stay here and continue to help folks because I really love what we do. Yeah, that is one of the things about it. It is one of the hardest jobs I've ever had, for sure. Uh, but when you get those weird little text messages from somebody that's been through the class and they're like, like the one I got earlier this week, you know, are you kidding me with this effing value selling stuff? It just clicked and it's amazing the difference it's having in my conversations in my pipeline. You have that kind of impact on people and the light bulb goes off and there's a lot of joy that comes from that. Uh, it is a bit of a challenge and a journey. None of us have ex huge teams to rely on. <laughs> We're all basically, you know, cobbling together, cobbling together a core group of people that we can rely on. But uh, it is, I think, our passion for it and the evidence that we have seen where it has worked, not only for us as individuals, but also the teams and clients we've worked for is a big, 
uh, a big differentiator for us. Uh, it, it continues to fuel our passion in the way that we engage with our clients. So as you're looking for those sales uh, methodologies or sales solutions or sales foundations to optimize your revenue funnel, take all of these things into account. And as we move forward, I want you to do me a favor and I want you to welcome Lisa and Carlos to the podcast because you're going to be hearing a lot more of their voices as we move forward. Carlos, Lisa, I can't thank you enough for taking the time. I look forward to seeing where you all take this as we move into the future. Uh, is there any particular place if somebody listening wants to get a hold of you, you want us to send them to LinkedIn, you want us to send them somewhere else, where you want them to go? Lisa, how about you? Where you want them to go? So my phone number is... <laughs> so, <laughs> Social? Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Honestly, you can... LinkedIn is probably the best way to do it, but you can email me at lisa.schner at valueselling.com. I'm happy to talk about any opportunities you, you're working on, or even if you're just stuck or if you want to connect. Uh, LinkedIn, I'm very active on LinkedIn as well. You can follow me on Twitter at, uh, at LM Schner, but I'll be honest, it's mostly Instagram pictures of my cat that you'll see there. So. <laughs> Uh, all right, Carlos, where do you want us to set him to connect with you, brother? LinkedIn. All right. It's, uh, you know, it's my most active channel. It's what I use for business. <laughs> so you're not going to get pictures of my cats or dogs on there, but <laughs> you will see posts about, hey, here's an interesting article that I saw. So reach out to me. LinkedIn's the best way to do it. You know, look forward to suggestions as well. What, what would you all want to see on these podcasts? If, you know, we're going to tweak this a little bit, who would you like us to see? Me and Lisa have been talking about, you know, who do we want to get as guests? What topics we want to cover? We don't want to make it all about sales, just like Chad's not made it all about sales. We want it to be something that it's got value for you folks. And the last thing this podcast is, is a commercial for value selling. It's really about, you know, feeding your brain. And uh, that means it could be about hiring. I got a good uh, friend who's a CRO who's going to talk about hiring top talent and just little concepts like that. So if you got some ideas of what you'd like to see, who'd you like to see on the podcast, come reach out. We'd love to get some of those ideas. All right. Excellent. Thank you both for being on the show. And to the audience, I want to thank you for being so loyal over the past two to three years as we've been doing this. I'm not going away all the way. You'll hear me. You know where I'm at. Uh, find me on LinkedIn. You are in great hands with Carlos and Lisa, but I do want to thank you for the past two years, three years of doing this. You know the drill. Hit us at b2brevexec.com. Share it with your friends, family, coworkers. Get your kids off the screen. Let them listen to something entertaining and educational. Leave us a review on iTunes if you like what you hear. And until next time, we have Value Selling Associates wish you nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.